Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Welcome to week two of our series that we've entitled The Way. And this weekend is Valentine's Day. So, gentlemen, consider this your warning. It's a little bit late. I I know you still have time to get a gift card or a card or send something. Uh, My guess is, though, you don't have time to do what Kanye West did for Kim Kardashian in 2019. He cleared out his entire living room. By, By he, I mean all the people he paid to do this, okay? So he cleared out his entire living room, put individual vases all around the living room and loaded it up with a few thousand roses. And then he hired Kenny G to come and play a private concert for he and Kim in their home. I mean, you can hate the player, but don't hate the game. My goodness. In fact, Kim said afterwards that she felt like she'd been in an elevator for an hour. So, no, just kidding. But I mean, wow, what an amazing gesture of love. And then um, every time we're on Del Dios Highway and we're driving back from the beach, I see this question that's painted on the side of the Lake Hodges Dam. In fact, if you're watching our video, you can see it here. Uh, It says, Hannah, comma, prom, question mark. Every time I see it, I'm like, I slow clap in my mind. Bravo, young man. Like, way to go. There were carabiners involved and spray paint. And my goodness, like, talk about going over the top to invite somebody to prom. I wonder if she said yes. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. And, and our world is really inundated with affection in, in so many ways. And that's what we celebrate on this holiday that we call Valentine's Day. We, we, we celebrate love. And I've heard a number of my single friends call this Single Awareness Day, right? It's this reminder that, gosh, there's, there's a longing and a desire that in some ways is, is unmet for them. And, and if that's you, I just want you to know that, that we see you and we're so glad that you're a part of a community where, where hopefully you can receive some of the love that your heart is longing for. But there's something about the human experience. There's something about being human that just makes us clamor for and and desire love. And, And in so many ways, we look for it in all the wrong places. But I wonder if that desire and that longing and the spray painting on the side of the dam and the roses that will be purchased this weekend are really just echoing a bigger story that's being told. What, what if we don't have to look all that far to find love? What if the same way that, that a fish swims in water, we as human beings actually live in love? What if love is right in front of us, begging to be seen, to be acknowledged and then responded to? 
See, last week we started this series and we we said that a disciple is somebody who learns, it's it's a process, learns how to live in God's kingdom under Jesus' reign, that, that, that we're learning how to live in his way with his heart. And that we have three goals as we do that, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. And this week, we're going to zero in on that goal to be with Jesus. And what I want you to do is think of this as a message in two parts. Today, I'm setting the stage. I'm trying to answer the question, what kind of world do we live in? And then next week, we're going to talk about how do we respond and what types of practices and what type of people do we need to become so that we can really be with Jesus. There's one story in the scriptures that I I think captures this goal for us to to be with Jesus so well. And it's actually in the Old Testament. If you have your Bible, will you open with me to Genesis chapter 28? And what we're going to do is read Moses' recapping of part of the life of the patriarch Jacob. Now, let me give you a brief description of Jacob's life up until this point. So you have some context of where we pick up the story today. Uh, Jacob is a twin. He was actually the second born. His older brother Esau in his culture would have gotten the lion's share of the blessing, uh, the father's affection and love because he was the firstborn. So Jacob was a little bit shady. He lived up to his name. His name means cheater or liar or swindler or heel grabber. And he lived up to that in every way, shape, or form. He sold his brother, uh, or he bought his brother's birthright for a cup of lentil soup. He pretended to be his brother and stole his father's blessing. And after stealing his blessing, he was on the run. He, he had to get away from Esau because Esau wanted to kill him. And so that's where we pick up the story. He's running from home and he's sort of in between places on the run. And it says this, starting in verse 10 of Genesis chapter 28. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. Now, Jacob is alone. His journey from Beersheba to Haran is over 3,300 miles. Okay, so it's a long journey and he's in between. Verse 11. He came to a certain place and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. And I think what Moses wants us to hear is that the sun had set not only on Jacob's day, but it feels to Jacob like the sun is setting on his life, right? Like the light is wearing out. He is at the bottom of the barrel. And if we didn't pick it up with that, we'll pick it up with what we're told next. Taking one of the stones from the place, he put it under his head to lay down in that place to sleep. So he's using rocks for pillows. Jacob is not exactly living his best life now, if you know what I mean. Like, like that's, you're not in a good place if you've got a rock for a pillow. And it says, and he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and on top of it reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. It's a, it's a stairway to heaven. Somebody should write a song about that. Just kidding. Okay? It's a stairway to heaven. And in the midst of all that's going on in Jacob's life, God is going to speak to him. God's going to show up. And he does so in a dream. He does so in a vision. And here's the the crux of the vision. That heaven and earth aren't two distinct and separated places. They're actually connected. 
You see what the vision is showing him? That there's an, a ladder, part of it touches earth, part of it goes to heaven, and then there's angels ascending and descending on it, and, and God is a part of this too, as we're going to see. As the Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann wrote, earth is not left to its own resources, and heaven is not a remote self-contained realm for the gods. Heaven has to do with earth, and earth finally may count on the resources of heaven. That's a beautiful picture. Earth isn't some static, purely material space. It's a dual environment. It it, it contains both, both spiritual and physical elements to it. We live in what Dallas Willard called a God bathed world. And it's often foreign to a Western mind because we're uh, primarily materialistic in the way that we think and the way that we view the world. But this world is thin space between heaven and earth. And listen, listen to Jacob's aha moment. It's in Genesis chapter 28, verse 16. So just skip down a few verses. We'll come back and look at the content of the dream in just a few moments. It says this, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Did you catch Jacob's exclamation? The Lord is here, and then he follows that up with, How awesome is this place! Would you write this down? Seeing God in the world changes the world we see. Seeing God in the world changes the world we see. And what Jacob's, the point Jacob's making is not just, God, you're here, but God, you've been here. And God, you've been with me. And, and God, for some reason, I missed it. But now through this dream, through this experience that I've had, my eyes are opened up. And now I see your fingerprints everywhere I look. I mean, we are a culture who loves celebrity sightings. We love to see celebrities out on the streets. People make entire businesses off taking pictures of them. What if as followers of the way of Jesus, we became people who are experts at God sightings, of seeing God's fingerprints all around us and celebrating his presence with us. Because what Jacob's seeing is what you and I need to see as well. If we are going to be with Jesus, that can happen anywhere. That can happen anytime. Because this is a God-bathed world. As we read through the scriptures, one of the constant affirmations is the nearness of God. And I, I want to prove it to you by taking you on a, a tour de presence throughout the scriptures. And you don't have to look further than the very beginning in order to see the way that this whole story of creation that we find ourselves in is framed. See, Adam and Eve are created, they're created and placed in the Garden of Eden to be with God. You you may know the story, they sin and they fall, quote unquote, and then they begin to hide from God. But listen to the way that God pursues them. It says, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? 
I, I love this question. And from the very beginning, God is not saying to Adam and Eve, you sinned, get away from me. It's in their sin, they are hiding from God and he is the one who is pursuing and chasing after them. I mean, later on in Exodus chapter 3, we see that Moses, after murdering somebody and fleeing to be a shepherd, he's in the desert shepherding sheep, and God appears to him in a burning bush. God's coming after him. We see that God commands the nation of Israel to make a tabernacle. And then after all the details of what goes into that tabernacle, we are told in Exodus chapter 25 verse 8 why he told them to embark on the whole project. Listen to what he said. He said, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God is saying, I want to be close to my people. So create a space that's clean and sanctified so that my people can come and interact with me. I mean, then later on we have David, the psalmist's echo of God's presence everywhere in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, where he writes, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. David is unearthing a doctrine that we call omnipresence, that God is everywhere. There is no place where God is not. And catch this, the reason that God has set the world up that way, this is going to be mind-blowing, is because he wanted to. He wants to be with us, which is the reason that the end of the story puts us right back in the beginning of the story. Listen to Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, where God says this, and I heard, or John writes this, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That the end of the story is the exact same as the beginning of the story. This uninhibited intimate interaction between God and his people. He will dwell with them and be with them. He will wipe every tear away from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. The old order of things has gone and behold, the new has come. And I think in all of that, what we see is all of creation. The whole thing is a Valentine's card. The whole thing is an affirmation of love of a God saying, I'm here. Will you open your eyes? Will you open your heart to recognize, to become aware of my presence with you? See, I love that God is a a present God, but he's not just a God who's present. He's a God who's pursuing, who's chasing after you and me. Uh, We see this in Luke chapter 15. Jesus says that, that God is sort of like a woman who's looking for a lost coin. Like she, and she looks everywhere in her house until she finds it. And then she celebrates the fact that it's found. Or that God is like a shepherd who goes after that one lost sheep to put him on his shoulders and bring him home. That's what God is like. And when he brings someone home, he celebrates because he loves them. He's not just present. He's also in pursuit. 
It reminds me of a, an old poem that Francis Thompson wrote entitled, The Hound of Heaven. And in it, he paints this picture of a God who's coming after us, where God is the hunter and we are the hunted, where God is on the prowl and we are the prey. See, oftentimes we talk about looking for God, searching for God, or finding God. But the story the Bible tells is of a God who is looking for, searching for, and finding you and me. It's his reckless love that puts him on the prowl, willing to crash through the distance and to crush into and crush down our idols in order that he may call us into his presence to enjoy him and love him. As Joshua Ryan Butler wrote in his great book entitled, The Pursuing God, he said this, the question we're faced with is not whether we've been good enough, jumped high enough, or sought hard enough. The question is, do we want to be found? That's the question. And that's my question for you. Do you want to be found? Because here's what we're going to see. When we awaken to God's presence, we walk into abundance. In fact, would you write that down? When we awaken to God's presence, we walk into abundance. The psalmist would write it like this in Psalm 73, verse 28. He said, God's presence is our good. Do you believe that today? That when you recognize God's presence with you, it's for your good. And we're going to see all the ways that that plays out in our lives in just a few moments. But I just want you to wrestle with that. Do you believe that God's presence is for your good? You know, we just wrote down, we awaken to God's presence. And I think that's a good image for us. Because it's, it's implying that God is always here. But it, the question is, are we aware? Not is God present? I think a lot of us, we, we sleep through the presence of God. I, for me, this is not, not, not a difficult metaphor to see. I mean, I sit down, I'm one of these guys, I sit down on the couch to watch a movie with my wife on a Friday night, and I promptly fall asleep with it about a half hour. I mean, I am done. Got it down to a science where if it's a funny movie, I could laugh when she's laughing, even if I'm mostly asleep. She looks over at me like, what are you doing, dude? So I, I don't get to pick movies in my house anymore. That's how that plays out. But I think a lot of us, we, we sleep through the presence of God. We sleep through the fact that this world is God-bathed, as we've already said. And I wonder today if God just wants to awaken us, because it's a bummer to sleep through a good movie, but it's devastating to sleep through the presence of God. So if God is present and God is creator, why is it so easy for us to fall asleep, to not recognize his presence? I, I think that's a, a good question. I'm not going to dive into these too deeply, but let me give you four reasons that I think it's easy for us to fall asleep. Number one is because of religion. And let me explain what I mean by that. I think in so many ways, religious narratives often invert the story that we're in. Meaning that they make us into the seeker. Like we're trying to find God. We're trying to seek out God. We are doing our best to look for God, but he's just sort of playing hard to get. But the story that the Bible actually tells is that God is chasing after us like we've already said. But we, we play this game in all sorts of different ways. One of the main ways is we say things like, 
God can't stand to be in the presence of sin. And it's usually followed by this advice. So, so you better, you better stay away from sin or God will stay away from you. Now, is that the story that we saw happening with Adam and Eve? No, they, they sinned and God chased after them. Now, I, I get the logic. God is, God is holy. Sin is ugly. The holiness of God must be protected from the horror of sin. That's all very, very true. But can our sin really taint God? Can, can it make God dirty? Does it make Jesus dirty when he's in the presence of sinful people? God doesn't bolt when he sees sin. He actually steps into it that he might redeem it, that he might make us in our sin holy and pure. He's not the one running away. We are. The gospel proclaims that the core problem is not that God can't stand in the presence of sin. It's that sin can't stand in the presence of God. Listen, I think you can summarize the gospel narrative in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave, he gave, he pursued you and me, his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, which is the result of sin, but have eternal life. The motive is love. The method is the cross. And Jesus is coming after you and me. Here's the second issue that stands, I think, in between you and I and seeing God everywhere. It's our cosmology. Cosmology is just a fancy word that means the science of the origin and development of the universe. How do we get here? And in so many ways, we've been inundated with naturalistic evolution that tells us that we're all some sort of cosmic accident, which leads to a purposelessness and really makes us wonder, why in the, what's, the, what's the reason behind all of this? And the answer is, there isn't in that method. But luckily, that's not true. That's not the story that we're in. As Gerald Manley Hopkins, the poet, writes, he said, The world is filled with the grandeur of God. Every atom, every molecule, um, it's all fine-tuned. The universe is fine-tuned to host the presence of humanity and life. And it points to something bigger, something more beautiful, and something better. When you know that God created it all, you start to expect to see him within it. Let me give you two other things. Uh, next is the circumstances of life. I think those can make it really hard to see God sometimes. I mean, you look at Jacob's life in this little story. We see that he's alone, that he's on the run, that he's feeling guilty. That he's feeling bad about what he's done. And we see all of these things going on in Jacob's life. He's disappointed. I mean, he's, he's using a rock for a pillow. I mean, these are the types of circumstances, the pain of life that make us sometimes go, God, where are you in the midst of all of this? But here's the the truth. Pain can either drive us to God or push us away from him. And as we see in Jacob's story, pain is going to be one of the portals that reveals God's presence. Will you let the pain in your life lead you to the same thing? And then finally, sometimes God just is quiet. Sometimes he's just hidden. 
And as a pastor, I'd love to lie to you and tell you, no, 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 it's easy to see God all the time. It's, it's not true. Even though he's present all the time, we've got to learn how to see him. But sometimes he pulls back a little bit not in order to be distant, but in order to create distance that we might chase after him in the same way that he's chasing after us. Now, that is beautiful news. The God of the universe is chasing after you. Now, let's look at why it's such good news. We see it in Jacob's dream. Next week, we're going to talk about how we pursue God. But remember, today's about recognizing that God is actually pursuing us, that the whole creation is brimming with his presence because he loves us and he's for us. He's coming after us. And when we awaken to that reality, it allows us to walk in abundance. And I want to put some flesh on that. What does this abundance actually look like that we walk in because of God's presence? And I think the content of Jacob's dream maybe alerts it to us best. Listen to verse 13. So jump back there. Verse 13 with me is where we start to read about what Jacob heard in his dream. It says this, And behold, the Lord stood above it. And remember that it here is a ladder that's connecting heaven and earth. And said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you live, I will give to you and to your offspring. So the first thing that Jacob hears in this dream that alerts him to God's presence is, I will give to you. Now, this is not unique to Jacob. God is is a giver. I mean, if it's better to give than it is to receive, who practices that more than God himself? Yeah, if it's good for us, it's also good for him. And we have a word for what Jacob heard. The word is is grace. I'm going to give to you, Jacob, without cost, without you having to earn it. I'm going to shower it down on you simply because I want to. And when we start to awaken to the presence of God, we walk in abundance because, and will you write this down? We meet a grace that overwhelms our weakness. Grace that overwhelms our weakness. See, often when we think about grace, we think about God's unmerited favor to us in Jesus, and it certainly is that. But grace is also, Dallas Willard describes it as as the fuel that fuels all of the Christian life, that a saint burns grace like a 747 on takeoff. He defines grace like this. Grace is God acting in our lives to accomplish what we cannot do on our own. See, we need grace every moment of every day, and we experience it every moment of every day. I mean, the very breath that you just took is grace from God. See, God shows up to Jacob and says, I will give you. And I think he's showing up in your life to say the exact same thing. It may be, I will give you strength or I will give you hope. I mean, I've been praying for and interacting with a family in our church family who where the mom is going through a just terrible battle with cancer. 
And I think those are words that they need to hear. I will give you strength. I will give you hope because of my presence. Maybe it's, I will give you community because you're just feeling lonely. I will give you salvation. If you're wondering, God, are you really there? I will give you fill in the blank. What do you need God to to give you? And what a beautiful thing that in his presence we receive because he's a God who gives. And look at the next thing that Jacob hears. It says this, verse 14. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you, until I have done what I have promised you. I don't know, there's something that just awakens in my heart when we hear somebody like Jacob receiving a promise like this. I mean, if I'm Jacob and God shows up and meets me in this deserted in-between place that doesn't have a name at that point in time, right? If, If God shows up in that space after I've cheated my brother, after I've robbed him from his blessing and I'm running from him, my guess is that God is showing up with condemnation. My guess is that God is showing up to say, dude, Jacob, what are you doing? You're really living up to your name here, buddy. Like, come on, pull it together. But that isn't the way that God shows up. See, in God's presence, Jacob starts to experience abundance because, and I'd invite you to write this down, he sees a faithfulness that transcends his failure. He sees a faithfulness that transcends his failure. And can we just say a big hearty amen to that? That God doesn't tap out on his faithfulness when he sees us fail. That he keeps coming for us. He keeps chasing after us. And he keeps showering us down with his love even when we fall short. See, God is reminding Jacob and he's reminding us that we cannot out his love. The hound of heaven is ferociously chasing even the greatest of thieves and the greatest of cheats. And that's where we see God's father heart on display. I mean, as a dad, I would say the same thing to my kids. Wouldn't you, if you're a, a, a parent, you can't out my love. I'm going to come after you. I'm going to chase you because I'm for you, because you're in my heart. And God says the exact same thing to you and to me. I love you enough to keep coming after you. And I don't know where you're at today as you're watching this. You may think that your failures have nullified God's faithfulness. And I want to assure you that nothing could be further from the truth. He's faithful when we're faithless. He loves when we fail. His grace is sufficient in our darkest moment. He is coming after you, friends. Now, now please hear me. That doesn't mean that he refuses to correct us or call us out on our sin. No, no, no. He's a good father. He does those things in order that he might lead us back to life and life abundant. And finally, look at what Jacob does at the end of this dream. He has his aha moment, right? Surely God is in this place and I knew it not. And then listen to what he says, verse 18. So early in the morning, Jacob took a stone that he had put under his head and he set it up for a pillar and he poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel 
but the name of the city was loose at first. See, see Jacob renames this place from uh, this unnamed place to, oh, this is Bethel. This is the, the house of God. That's what that word means. But I think what Jacob's saying is not just that place is Bethel, but this whole thing is Bethel. The, the whole thing is God's house. The whole thing is teeming with the presence of God. And in light of that, what does he do? He, he takes the stone that he'd laid his head down on, that was his pillow, the stone that was his pain, he anoints it with oil, and it becomes a pillar. His pain becomes a pillar. In fact, I would invite you to write that down. Pain is transformed into pillars, into trophies of God's work in our life. The scars that heal tell a story, but they tell a story of a Savior's love who continues to hold us even in the darkest moments of life. I love that transformative picture. What once was a picture of Jacob's pain now becomes a reminder of God's presence. So I don't know what you need God to redeem. I don't know what hurt you've carried out of 2020 and 21. I don't know what kind of, of stones you have that used to be pillows. You were lying on them in pain that you need to say, God, either I want you to turn this into a pillar. God, redeem it, please. Or God, you have done this. And if so, I want to name it and I want to celebrate it. And maybe even this week, you take some time and you tell somebody the story of God's faithfulness in your life because awareness of his presence always leads to abundance. So let's look at the way Genesis 28 ends because I think it paints a great picture for us of what we do in light of awakening to the presence of God that's with us. Listen to verse 20 through 22 with me. It says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and I will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a full tenth to you. Now, here's what Jacob's essentially saying. God, in light of my recognition of your presence, your promise to me, the grace that you've shown me, the faithfulness, the transformation, all that you've done, the most natural thing is to give my life back to you. See, if being in God's presence doesn't cause us to surrender our lives, I don't know that we've really experienced the presence of God. Because that's the most natural thing to experiencing a creator God who says, I love you and I'm for you. Would you write this down? Awareness of God's presence demands surrender of our life. An awareness of God's presence demands surrender of our life. I think Charles Wesley captured it in that great hymn when he wrote, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. 
Have you made that same commitment? I mean, all significant movements of God start with a group of people saying, God, we are surrendering our lives to you. Use them for the glory of your name, we pray. And what I'm saying is when we know God's presence, that's the most natural thing to do. Surrender our lives. You know, one of the people at Emmanuel Faith that's been on this journey is a man by the name of Mike Cochran. He's actually the electrician that's working on our worship center, doing a ton of work around our campus these days for us. But he's an electrician, but also a poet. Um, that He sort of meets with God through poetry, and God seems to show up and speak to and speak through him. And I've asked Mike to share one of his poems with you. I think it captures this idea that we're talking about today really, really well. The poem is called Purpose. This is Mike Cochran. Hi, my name is Mike Cochran, and this is a poem I wrote last year. You made me for a purpose, then you gently set me down. You let me run my own life, now I've run it in the ground. I had to do it my way, it's the only way I know. A life without you in it gave me nowhere I could grow. When I finally hit the bottom where the pain was so intense, I remembered I had choices as I sat upon that fence to keep on going like I have and do it on my own or love you as you love me and never be alone. Thank you. I I love that line. Or love you as you love me and never be alone. I think that captures what Jacob senses as he sees this stairway to heaven. And it's what we sense too when we start to Get a pulse on the reality that God is present with us in this moment right now. We don't have to go somewhere else. That we can commune with God in this moment because he is pursuing us. And friends, that awakens us to abundance. Because remember, remember, God showers grace into our weakness, faithfulness that transcends our failure, and our pain he transforms into a pillar of his presence. You know what's interesting to me is that Jesus actually references this story of Jacob in his life on earth. Listen to John chapter 1 verse 51. It's a story of a calling of the few of of Jesus' first disciples, but listen to what Jesus says. It says, He said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I mean, Jesus is so clearly pointing to this dream that Jacob had, the stairway to heaven. And then what he says is, I'm the ladder. I, I am the ladder that connects heaven and earth. In the flesh, the glory of God shows up and makes us dwelling among us and tells us, I am the ladder. But here's the thing, catch this. The ladder is not for you to climb up. That's not the purpose of the ladder. See, that inverts the story. The ladder is actually for God to climb down, to be present with his people, and to redeem a broken humanity. He's not making a way for us to get to God. Jesus is bringing God to us. And he's not writing his devotion on the side of a reservoir's dam. (laughs) He's writing his devotion on a Roman cross where he gave his life that you and I might find life full and life abundant. Friends, that's the story 
that we are in. And when we awaken to his presence, we walk into abundance. So let me close by inviting you to ask three questions as you read the scriptures and pray this week. Three questions. Number one, what is Jesus saying to you? Number two, what does it look like to be obedient? And number three, who are you going to tell? Who are you going to tell? Let's close in prayer. Lord, thanks for time in your scriptures today. Thank you for your presence right here in this moment where we're filming, where people are watching in their homes, in a coffee shop, out on a run, wherever they're watching or listening. God, you're with them. I pray that you would open their eyes to see you with them in the questions and the doubts and the pain and the frustration and the confusion and all of it. Jacob experienced all of it and you met him there. I pray that in our daily lives, you would meet us as well. God, may we know your presence. We know you're here. Just open our eyes, we pray, that we might become aware and that we might walk into abundance. We ask this in the name, the powerful name of Jesus, the way, the truth, the life, the ladder connecting us to God. In his name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.